thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Yeah. After a little bit of a, of a rough start here at the beginning. Uh, yeah. It's all good. If there wasn't traffic and technology problems, there'd be something wrong. How much world better would the world be if there were oh, less God. computer and traffic problems? I know. The, the computer is like a double-edged sword, right? Because it's so... It's such an incredible tool overall. Like I couldn't do what I do without it, really. And I'd be writing yeah. guidebooks, and people would be going to stores. But, uh, um, you know, but there's always something, some kind of problem. And there's like new. You know, I was talking earlier, like there's a new camera, and it's sort of like you got to get the new camera so the picture looks better. <laughs> and the, the, you know, so yeah. Um, but uh, it's just part of the deal. Yeah, I can remember growing up, uh, I can remember when computers were really first kind of starting to come out. Oh, yeah. And I remember my parents, I was like, man, we got to get a computer, we got to get a computer. And I can vaguely remember my, my one of my parents, I don't remember which one, but one of them was like, I don't know if computers are really going to, may just be a fad. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe you're right. <laughs> yeah. I never thought I would use one like like yeah. I do every day and be so dependent on them every day to do ev almost everything. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I was, I'm old, almost, almost 50, but my son just started kindergarten and now they get a Chromebook. They get their own laptop. In kindergarten? Yeah. I know it's ridiculous. And I was thinking <laughs> back when I was in kindergarten, there was one teacher who had, this is God, 1979 or eight. There was one teacher who had a, a Radio Shack computer. Wow. And it was like the first computer that you could buy, you know, like in the store. Yeah. And every class would get a chance to go over there and you would like fool around with it and he would show you things. And I remembered the first program. It was all, it was a language called basic where you had to like program it, um, you know, just writing, no games or anything, no graphics. And I actually remember it was like, this language basic was like 10 print hello, 20 go to 20. 20 go to 10 and it would just like print hello on the screen until you hit the escape <laughs> button. But I was like, God, I, I don't know. How do I remember that? I mean, when I was in kindergarten, I know for a fact I had classmates that were eating glue and crayons and things like this. Well, that's part of it. And tough. now they give them. And now I'm thinking, are kindergartners, have they advanced that much just like no. genetically speaking? Or are they still eating glue, but now we're giving them laptops? Yeah, there's they're eating boogers and glue and and, <laughs> and, and carrying around the Chromebook exactly, <laughs> and they're connected. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's bizarre. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's a whole new world. Well, you know, all this time on computers and at least for me, it's uh, it's it's a, always a good reason why I need I like to disconnect, which is you know why you know I wanted to have you on, um, tell people a cool. little bit just about, you know, your, your background and how you kind of got started and became the hiking guy. Yeah. Well, kindergarten, I did that computer program. I ate some, <laughs> some boogers and glue <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I didn't grow up. I grew up in the suburbs of kind of like in between I'm from New York city originally, and I grew up sort of in between New York and Philadelphia and kind of like a woodsy area, but it wasn't like, like going to grow up in Wyoming or something, you know? Mm. Um, but there was outdoors there and I was never really like, I didn't have a family who hiked or camped or did any of that stuff. So it was never really part of my life. Um, and then I went to college, I got a degree in, uh, MIS, Management Information Systems, which is like business and computer science together. And, you know, when you're young, 
well, I was pretty stupid then. Um, <laughs> and you, you know, you do, you know, your parents like get a good job and it's just, you know, be a dentist, be a lawyer, go, go to school, graduate, get a job, money. yeah, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it all equals out in the end. And yeah, does it <laughs> oh, exactly. So I, you know, I, I followed that and, and, uh, I had a really like great job for however old we are when you graduate 22. Um, I worked for this big like international consulting company. I did um, systems architecture for like huge telecommunications systems, T-Mobile, all these things. Hmm. I lived in Switzerland, like they paid for my apartments wow. and I got to like travel all over the world. I basically had like a book of these refundable plane tickets. This is before 9-11 and before things were crazy, <laughs> but they would just call and say like, hey, we need you in Dublin tomorrow morning. And I would just get on a plane and I'd go there. It was, you know, wow. when you're like in your 20s, it's it's very fun. To and travel. Like, yeah. yeah like and, you know, you're making good money. But I was just, you know, partly just worn down because they knew I was 20 and I would do anything that they asked me to. And, um, and partly I was just really disconnected from from something. I didn't know what probably mm. at that point. Um, but I was just not happy. I was like, here I am with all this stuff. I've got, you know, money, I'm traveling, girlfriends and living in Switzerland and I'm, I'm pretty miserable. Yeah. Uh, and then a buddy of mine just coincidentally turned me on to these books by this guy named Tom Brown, who there's a lot of controversy around him. He's, uh, are you familiar with I'm, him? I'm not. He, who, he's a guy this? who, he has an outdoor school now, but he grew up in the Pine Barrens, New Jersey, like New Jersey is, you know, it's the garden state. It's like a survivalist school or something. Yeah. Primitive skills. So you learn he, and there's a lot of controversy and I I had a good time with it, but it's like a little bit culty now that I look back on it. Hmm. Um, What's controversial about it? How much of it's true and how much of it's, he has this whole sort of backstory that he writes in novels, which are, they're total page turners, whether it's true or not, they're Uh, page turners, but stories about him growing up, his best friend was Native American. The parents had moved there. And then the grandfather moves out um, to stay with them. And the grandfather is an Apache scout, like one of the last Apache scouts. And he moves out from the, the Southwest or whatever. And he teaches this guy, Tom, and his friends all of these skills, these mm-hmm. Native skills. And it's just adventures in the um, adventures in the woods. You know what I mean? And then he also... From that, he has like these novels, which are, I I don't know what you would call it, semi-autobiographical fiction-ish. But then he has a school where he teaches primitive skills. So I was reading these books. The the Sounds like a good marketer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And I was reading these books and I realized he has like a class. He has a series of books that are nonfiction too. They're like field guides and like what do tracks look like and how to build shelters. just essentially all these different native skills and whether it was taught to him by an Apache scout or not, they work. Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like the test, right? If it, if it doesn't work, it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, Otherwise, exactly. It's, it's good. So I was in Switzerland. I flew back. I took this course in New Jersey in the Pine Barrens and all you do, like you don't bring anything except for a knife and like the clothes on your back and you learn how to survive in the wilderness. So, takes you out, you learn about edible plants, how to build a shelter, all that stuff right off the bat. And you spend a few days out in the wild. Like how many days? So, so, so you show up as somebody who this is your first endeavor into Some it and you're just like, here's a knife and we're going to walk out into the woods and stay for how many days? 
I think it was th four days, three nights or something in the Pine Barrens. So you're not going to starve to death in that time, even if you can't if you do something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's New Jersey. You could probably hike to a Dunkin' Donuts at some point. <laughs> so not, not, you know, if you yeah. really want to survive. Um, but it, it was interesting, too, because I went there and the first the first night I'm sleeping in this thing called a debris hut, which is basically like a, a big, long stick that you prop up like an mm -hmm. A-frame. You pile it over with leaves and you get inside of it. It's almost like a sleeping bag and it, it's, it's very effective. You get up in the morning and there's like ticks all over me. Yeah. I'm like, shit. This, you know, th that, that <laughs> ticks freak me out. But uh, um, there's yeah. not a lot of things that freak me out. The Northeast is bad for the ticks. Yeah. I was, I was one of the first people to get Lyme's disease too. Oh, wow. Back, I think it was in high school. There was like seven people. And I was like one of those seven. Have you heard the story about Lyme disease? How it was, how the, it was? The manufactured in a lab or something? Yeah. 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 I just, I was, I was sick. And back then, just to digress for a second on that, nobody knew what it was. So I was going all Did these, you get it from this time in, no, in New Jersey? No, this was before that. Oh. Um, but I didn't, nobody knew what Lyme's disease was because it was like a brand new thing. And I had all of, I had like fever, my jaw was tight and went, my parents, God bless them, took me like a dozen different doctors and they all told me something different. Like, I remember one of them said, I need my wisdom teeth out. Like all, cause nobody wow. knew, yeah. you know, they're just like, yeah. eh, let's try this, <laughs> pull something out of his body and see if he's any better. Um, and then eventually we went to a doctor who was like in tune with the research and mm -hmm. he was like, oh, and he showed me, I had like the bullseye bite mark and all of the, the classic stuff. And then I took some kind of I remember they were like $400 back in the 1980s, like the antibiotics. And I, I had a crazy fever and then I was done. But, um, and luckily I didn't have any like side effects. Some people get yeah. sick for a while. But anyway, back to the other ticks, the newer <laughs> ticks. Um, but I remember having all these ticks in my body. And by the end of it, when you're just out there for a few days and you're only eating like plants, I remember we ate a turtle. We found a snapping turtle and we, we killed it and we ate it. And it's like a serious, you know, you're, you're looking at the, yeah, you're killing. It's kind of like those uh, shows you see on on TV now, like Alone exactly. or whatever. You yeah, know, you're whatever you can eat. What they you're yeah. gonna eat? I wasn't naked, but uh, well, yeah, there's <laughs> that one too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, but by the end, what was interesting? I was getting bit by mosquitoes in the beginning, but after eating just that, just plants and some meat, no bugs were on me. No no hmm. no um, mosquitoes or anything. And I remember talking to somebody after that, and they said. It, when you eat all of like the sugar and the crap that I was eating when I was 20 something years old, yeah, they can smell it. They can smell it and they can smell it. It's in the CO2 that comes out of your mouth. Even like attracted probably to. the shampoo and soaps we oh, use even as well. Deodorant, all yeah. the crap that, yeah, it's probably illegal now. Um, <laughs> like the stuff they would put in there in the nineties. But, uh, so anyway, I went to this course and then that was, that was an epiphany. Cause then I realized I don't need, I don't need money to survive. If something happens and I lose my job and I lose everything, I can just go out in the woods and it's going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. It's going to be enjoyable. Um, and then I ended up quitting that job and just sort of living life a little bit more. Um, I don't know if I care. So I just, I, I quit. I moved to New York uh, where I was originally from, but I lived in the village and I had all these like oddball jobs. I just always wanted to do as like a tour guide on a, double-decker bus. I was a bike messenger. I was like, just like, I'm going to do everything that I ever wanted to do now. Um, and then I ended up 
hooking up with another guy, starting an ad agency, like a digital agency. Uh, this was a few years later, and I sort of left the the outdoor stuff behind because I'm, you know, 25 years old in Manhattan, and I'm drinking and doing that kind of thing. Uh, living life. Living life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then we started this agency, and all of a sudden, it was just a lot of computer work. I mean, it was mm. it was a startup in the beginning. There was three of us. It was like sleeping in the office and, you know, waking up with like empty beer cans and, you know, takeout boxes, yeah. that type of thing. And I just, I, I felt, I felt that feeling that I felt before when I was at the other job. And I uh, was like, you know what, let me go to REI. Let me buy some camping stuff and hiking stuff and just take the weekends and get the hell out of New York and go to the Catskills, go to the Adirondacks and just camp. And that was, that was my go-to thing. Um, and I would do that all the time. And I, I didn't have a blog or an outdoors presence at that point. I was just sort of getting back into it and, and more of a mainstream as, as opposed to like a survival skills, bushcraft kind of thing, but more just camping. Yeah. Getting yeah. out. Yeah. Getting out. Um, Unplugging. Unplugging. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I felt much better. And then I ended up moving out to LA. We opened an office downtown here and I moved downtown. So how long did all this take? Like, I mean, <laughs> so, sounds like, I mean, you built, built the company and, yeah. and, and grew it. So some, some time we start, I, I, I moved to New York and I was running around probably in the late nineties, 97. Then we started this company in 2005 or six. Hmm. Uh, so I like seven years of whining and, you know, hijinks. And then we started this company and we built it from the three of us to, we had about 40 people, um, when it ended, which was cool. And, uh, which I don't know, it was 2019, maybe right before the pandemic. Hmm. Um, but I ended up moving out here to start an office. And then I really got into the outdoors because this is like a playground, Southern California. I mean, yeah. I used to come here for work all the time and I would generally go to like Hollywood or somewhere downtown where it's just like, ugh, see know. the LA stuff. Yeah. 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 I'd go to offices and it, you know, it was okay. It wasn't anything bad, but eventually I started going weekends to Joshua tree and to Angeles national forest and different places. Um, Mount Whitney started doing Mount Whitney every year. And, uh, and then I just really got into it. And then I'd have employees who would come out here and they would want to do these hikes. And I realized, well, I, I started like, I'd write the instructions down email. I'm like, okay, you're going to go to this junction and then do this. And then at some point I realized like, let me just put this on a web page because other people can probably benefit from this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just kind of took off. I mean, not fast, but it's been up there since 2014. So not slow either, but, you know, just every year, a little more people find out about it. Um, and then a few years ago, we had an opportunity to kind of like exit our company and, and, and hand it off to some other folks. And I said, let's do it. Let me give it a shot and do this full time. So that's what I've mainly been doing now um, until COVID hit. I've now I'm doing some freelance on the side. But uh, but yeah, that's that's the the story. Yeah. In interesting. So has has. So you sounds like you had to kind of take a break too, when when probably when they closed all the parks for 
yeah. for, for that. In fact, the, speaking of that, I think today they finally opened back up again. They were supposed to. I didn't check. Uh, interesting. Um, but I'm not sure. But yeah, that that stuff all hit me hard. Like, you know, if there's a forest fire, like when the Bobcat fire happened, like there's like five of my guided hikes, right. like five pieces of five guides, five pieces of content, as they say, that are gone. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's not there anymore. Yeah. Um, and then what happened when, when COVID hit? So I basically make my money off of um, affiliate links for my gear recommendations. That was the other thing that just kind of happened organically. There's other hike sites out there where it's all about gear and ever in YouTube channels where like every week, like, which is the, you know, the ultimate backpack showdown. And I was never, <laughs> just never my do reviews every week. Oh, and, yeah. To me, that's, that's a nightmare. Like that's, that's no bueno, but I like hiking, but people would ask me like, Hey, what kind of backpack are you using? So mm -hmm. I just made a gear page where I put all of that. And that's essentially how I, I monetize. Cause I decided to get rid of ads a while ago because I just, didn't like the experience of like scrolling yeah. and reading about like, you know, the ancient Bristol cone forest. And then there's like a Botox ad, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, doesn't really go. Yeah. Not, not cool. Um, but anyway, so when COVID hit all the stores shut REI and all that, and all those commissions totally got cut. People weren't going out until the middle of the pandemic. Um, and that, that just hit me hard. And I also used to do guiding. So when I, the website also do like private um, guided hikes. So I take people different places oh, around wow. Angeles National Forest, whatever. Uh, and that insurance got canceled because it was a state of emergency in California, mm. um, which was like ridiculously expensive anyway. I don't even know if I ever made money on guided hiking because <laughs> it just saw so much money to yeah. pay for insurance. But uh, uh, so those things happened. And, um, and then a couple of weeks ago or maybe a couple of months ago, Google... So another big thing with the website is the Google search results, right? So right. if you're not number one, two, or three, people don't really click on you or they don't find you. And I spend a lot of time because I have this computer science background, like optimizing my website, not in a hacky kind of way, but just like making it smooth and easy and get rid of the, getting rid of the ads and making it quick and well thought out so that people can just go there and get what they need. Um, which Google's allegedly will reward you for. Uh, and they were up, up there for a while, but they just did an algorithm, algorithm change, which I do every, maybe twice a year. And all my sites just tanked. And then I just had to get some freelance work. These algorithms, man, I, they, I, people keep talking about uh, artificial intelligence coming over to take over the world. And I, I think AI, I mean, an algorithm basically is an AI in, yeah. in a way. I yeah. mean, it's already running our lives yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, in that way. Yeah, it's, you know, they, they try to, I mean, I, I believe that they're trying to, I mean, they're trying to make money, but they're also trying to like surface the best Sure. Results, but it's just not whatever they did last time is a. Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you anybody that wants uh, guides on on the detailed. I mean, yours are the best. Thank I you. mean, I've I, you know, for, for me, I'm very similar. I got work a full time job, but on the you know, and I do good to get out like once or twice a month, to be real honest. Yeah. If I do do it, do anything twice a month uh, to get out of the city, um, it, it's an accomplishment. But. I mean, it's so re-energizing just to unplug and get out in nature. And I know there's a lot of people, a lot of my friends even are not like outdoors people and you couldn't get them to go on a hike to, <laughs> to save their life. But I'm like, look, I swear to you, if you would just do it, 
like you would feel better. Yeah. Like you would, there's something about, and I'll admit that I'm a little bit of a, got a little bit of a hippie, you know, at part yeah, aspect same. to me. And, you know, there's something about just being away from all the concrete, all of the noise, all of the electric stuff, and yeah. just being out there. You don't have helicopters or airplanes flying over. You don't hear traffic. It's just like, it's just nature. It's other living things that are just like right there. And it's like almost, I don't know, it feels like something in our in our inner genetic code, like that's been ingrained from the time we were Neanderthals, probably. It is. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, I, I don't know how long humans, uh, thousands and thousands of years humans have been yeah. on Earth. Maybe at, least, at least a few hundred thousand, thousand or yeah. a couple, couple hundred thousand, yeah. I think. Yeah. And it's only been recently that we've disconnected right the industrial revolution right kind of started that computers really accelerated that the cell phones have taken phones, it to another level yeah it's just sort of exponentially the, the removal is you know is exponentially increased over the last few years yeah and and before that we lived in harmony with everything out there everything out there you know people probably they didn't look at it as like leisure or a resource it was maybe research, but they looked at it as just part of their world. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just like you would look at your toilet as part of something you use every day. You would look at a tree and be like, this is where I'm going to get this or do this or sit under or whatever it might be. And it's only recently that we've like disconnected. And, you know, I think that's why people feel this acute need to reconnect. And if, if you really think about what, what is, what is the outdoors? Like what are trees? What are rocks? It's the only thing that like man doesn't create everything else yeah. in your life, the roads, the, the toilet that I mentioned earlier, <laughs> the computer, the highways, marriage, every, every, every kind of like system and contraption and paradigm in our modern world has been created by people. Yeah. Whereas when you're just out there, like you're connected with, with the only thing that's regardless of your faith is real. That rock is real. There's nothing you that can say true. that's not going to disprove that, whether you believe in Jesus, if you're <laughs> Jewish, Hindu, whatever it is, atheist, like you can't not say that this stuff was created and this is here. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what, you know, I, I'm not a, a religious person in any way, but like, I just know that connecting with that and just being there, like recharges the battery hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to know. Right. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think so. I think nature is one of those things that are fairly universal across different religious and spiritual beliefs any anyway. Yeah. You know, there's usually a deep connection to to the to the earth and to nature itself. I mean, I I often think that if people would be more engaged with nature at least once in a while that it would make for probably a calmer a little bit calmer society as well <laughs> and you know even yeah. more importantly you know with with covid recently you know just getting out and getting in the sunshine and getting some exercise like yeah. you know would do so many people i mean exercise in of itself just getting out and doing a you know a few miles you know you don't have to go do 20 miles but you know do five miles you yeah. know and just be out in the sun and get your blood going a little bit and feel the sun on your skin and it just it it re you said it it re-energizes you in a way that a latte is not going to <laughs> cryotherapy or <laughs> something yeah something new age yeah it's it's yeah it, it's 
it's sad in a way that it's, you know, when you said like, I'm a bit of a hippie and like, it, it's sad that we have to say that, that it's not so mainstream yeah. because I don't think it had to be that way. But, you know, in terms of humanity, yeah. that, that has to be this kind of thing where, where it's like, yeah, I like to be outside and, you know, maybe some friends don't get it or whatever, but it's just, it's, it's kind of sad in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's really should be more of our, our natural state. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you go like, you know, I mentioned Switzerland earlier, like if you go to Switzerland, like everyone does outdoors things, it's just, it's just part of society or a lot of Europe is like that. Agreed. I got to do a little bit of traveling. I spent most of my time in Iceland and oh, in nice. England. And, and then I spent a decent amount in Spain and Spain very much the, you know, the other two were weather was a little prohibitive, although the Icelanders don't care. They, they go out and, and it's sleeting and they're out running in groups. And there's, there's no such thing as bad weather. Very bad hardy. Yeah. That's what they say. But Spain was very much that way. Yeah. You know, people were just outside and that was probably as an adult, like, what sort of got me back in into that because when i was young i i was a i was a boy scout and nice. you know did did a lot of hiking and then when i got about old enough to get a car i pretty much uh switched to <laughs> other things and really didn't revisit that until i was over there and you just saw like you know people didn't go find electronic entertainment it was like people would go out into the park and the parks would be packed and mm -hmm. like people would use those. They were just very outdoors and all their free time. If they were eating, they wanted to be outdoors, you know, everything. And that really made an impression because it really, that in the pace of life is a little slower. They're a little more laid back. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, as soon as, you know, I, I got down here, it's, it's ironic because when I came back is when I changed industries and I, I got into what I'm into now. And it's been honestly the irony of how much work it is and how much stress it is, is probably ridiculous. But, um, when I moved down here, because I started, when I came back to the States, I spent some time up in Seattle okay. uh, starting out in the industry and then moved down here. And when I moved down here, it was just like a game changer. I was so ready. Seattle's beautiful. Yeah. But the rain, it just started to get to me. <laughs> and I was like, man, down here, I've got the beach. There's the mountains. There's the desert. It's the best. And the first time I went to Joshua Tree, it like changed my my life. I was like, I've got to like do this like once in a while, like on a regular basis. Yeah, no, it's 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 true. I mean, it's, you know, coming from New York, I found the same thing here in, in Southern California. I mean, if you want to talk about like disconnected, like people. In yeah. the Northeast, I mean, it's just, you know, it's traffic to like yeah. an Italian restaurant, the home to work to somewhere else. But, um, you know, I think in Europe, it, the culture is a little bit older. It's not so focused on consumerism here. A, a lot of life is based on getting things and having yeah. new things. And e even now, like, you know, there, there was a shift a few years ago from things to experiences, right? Everyone was right. like. Uh, now it's about experiences, but that's just another product, essentially. I mean, that's how people who sell that look at it. You know, <laughs> that's true. Like Coachella is an experience. Like Coachella <laughs> is where they make money. You know, yeah. um, but you know, there's there's always this kind of I don't know, call like a rat race here to kind of be be in touch with what's new, what's hip. Are you watching this on Netflix, on Hulu, or whatever? 
And you don't really get that so much in Europe. It's a little more, like you said, it's more laid back and people aren't so focused on uh, like the new things and stuff. I mean, you definitely have those people, but yeah. and generally people try to live a balanced life. And, you know, I, I always think about that here. Um, I was listening to some of your older podcasts, some of the, the political ones and, and uh, might've been the last one where you guys were talking about COVID and stuff, but I was just thinking, you know, most people, everything's so polarized right now, but most people just want like a safe place to live clean, no potholes, some taxes, not too much clean air, you know, trails and nice things to do and and just kind of like a basic life. And if you really thought about, you know, how would we focus if most Americans probably just want the same things, maybe a little bit different permutations, you know, things would be much different, but essentially now politics has become a, and I'm not going to, dive into pausing, but, yeah. but, uh, you know, politics is, is a product. It's like a media thing. It's just every, every, every political thing just pokes at the emotional touch points to get you worked up yeah. about something. Um, and, and what happens is every, everyone else loses out. Like those people make money cause they sell advertising, but the big sort of iceberg of people in America who just want like a safe place and clean air and just these basic things, are just kind of feel lost. Right. And that's, that's, that's a tough thing I think we're facing right now. And it's all sort of coming to a head with like the fires and the, all this, all this stuff going on. I wish it was just simpler and more common sense and, and, you know, people yeah. focused on just doing simple things like pure things, like just going out for a hike or a picnic. It doesn't have to be climbing Mount Whitney, you know? Yeah. I, and, and, you know, you you hit it on the head. I too, I think as well. Just a different perspective. Like that was the thing that struck me when when I was overseas, especially in Spain, and and the end of the people that I met there in particular. They, you know, were pretty well off, but like really wouldn't know it. They didn't buy yeah. designer clothes. One of them didn't have a car at all. The other one didn't have a nice car. It was just he was like. Eh. It's just transportation. It gets me from point A to point B. And like parking is also very challenging over there <laughs> in the streets and stuff. So, yeah. you know, they get dinged up and it's like they don't want to have to worry about it. So eh, we just don't spend money on it. We'll drive this one till it you know falls apart and then we'll get another one. You yeah. know, no big deal. And 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 then you get to the point where they just take an entire month off. Yeah, everyone does. You know, all of August, yeah. they just take off and the city pretty much closed. I I, I was in Valencia. And the city would pretty much close and everybody just goes to their to their beach homes. Yeah. All of Europe. All of them. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, this and it it honestly was on my nerves for about the first two months I was there. By about month three, I was like, you know, this is kind of nice. <laughs> like I could get used yeah. to this. And and people ask anytime I get asked now, it's like if I could go back and live any lifestyle or any place like that would probably be it of the places I've experienced. Yeah. You know, it beats this rat race yeah. for sure. It's it's a balance, right? It's just yeah. like at the end of your life, are you going to look back and be like, God, I'm glad I got the uh, iPhone 13 on <laughs> September 24th. You know, like it's all, you're going you're gonna to think about Valencia and you're going to yeah. think about Joshua Tree and you'd be like, God, I, I'm glad I saw those places and I did those things. I mean, that's, you know, that's what the experiences are that, People like Coachella try to 
you know, Manu- manufacture. Yeah. I mean, it's the same. It's like you were saying about being man-made. I mean, you know, music is sort of organic, but those festivals are definitely manufactured by man. Oh yeah. You know, they're not a natural experience, and there's so much in the world that I know that I'll never get to see, but that I want to, and that's what drives me so crazy about people who who don't want to travel and to each their own. I know people are comfortable staying at home and, but I think there can be so much gained by going and seeing, you know, in complete opposite side of the world, you know, Mm -hmm. they still have the same, they still have trees, they still have mountains, they still have water. It's, it's just different geographies, different cultures and all of those experiences like really changes your perspective on, on, realizing that we all 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 do kind of want the same things the same basic you know hey we just want to not have to be stressed all the time and just you know know that everything's going to be okay yeah exactly hopefully you have a job you like you know you work you have a family hopefully it's like chill and you can do fun things and it's like it's it's simple right but it's you can't make money off of simple unfortunately (laughs) so that's you know it's just it, it it's it's sad i mean it's well, we need a, yeah. a different uh, value indicator other than money, perhaps. Yeah. Good yeah. luck. Yeah, that's it's probably too ingrained. But uh, and you know, right now that you're going to get a bunch of comments calling us communists, and <laughs> woke and I, socialists. I, I prefaced and, all this with the fact that I'm a little bit of a hippie. So, yeah. you know, take take that. I'm a pretty, <laughs> I'm is. a pretty middle of the road, independent kind of guy. Like I've, yeah, likewise. I, yeah, I've, I, 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 I like to think about issues as opposed to. Other people being enemies because some issue, you know. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be able to kind of put, you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes, so to speak. And I think a lot of time have a a lot of people today have a hard time doing that, you know, looking from someone else's perspective because, you know, and, and again, I think it helps to meet a lot of variety of people to help gain that ability to be able to see things from a different perspective. Totally. You, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Like now that everyone's isolated, it, it, it makes that worse because you're not traveling, yeah. you're not meeting people, you're not going to a bar and talking to somebody and having like a discussion about something. <laughs> right. You're just, you know, there's people like leaving angry comments <laughs> on you know, social media. That's, that's how they manifest whatever they need to do now. Um, the algorithm just keeps feeding you the same thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Top of the list. Yeah, um, yeah but the, and you're 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 spot on. I, I my mother is German, and I spent every summer of my childhood in Germany, um, and that was like when I look back on it, like that was invaluable. Just just having a different perspective, seeing different things, different people, and knowing that everything isn't just one way. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's a thing about politics right like it's a complicated business where there's a lot of compromises and a lot of like technical nuance that needs to be put together to put policies together but that's boring right that's like that's c-span it's not as fun as calling somebody a yeah fascist or a communist seeing everything in black and white is much easier to sell and much easier for people to understand which is also something i think that you know just with all the accessibility of technology and media and content creation it's like an overload of of all this yeah and people have i think when we get overloaded we have a tendency to simplify things so that we can process the information efficiently and you know putting in putting things in into yes or no or black or white 
life just is not really that way. No. You know, it's very difficult to define things in that manner. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. It's interesting too, because you get, I get for the hiking website, I'll, I'll get an email like once a week or something. And they're like, is this too dangerous? Is this hike too dangerous to do? Mm. Like Mount Baldy's the big one. Cause there's a section called the devil's backbone, which is unfamiliar. Yeah. It's got a scary name. Um, but it's not really so bad, but people will say, is this too dangerous to do? Like, will I get hurt? You know, and the answer is, well, it depends. It's, it's a nuanced thing. It's not a black and white answer. Like if you're yeah. an idiot and you're taking selfies and you're leaning over the side, you're going to fall off the side. Yes. If you prepare and you pay attention and you do it right, it's going to be fine. Um, then, you know, there are some, I mean, that's a good example. Like I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, I get a little bit uncomfortable at heights. I do too. You know? And so like, yeah. that was one I can remember kind of going across it. I was like, okay, I'm not going to mess around at all. Like I'm going to stay focused on one foot in front of the other and yeah. not really look. I mean, I, anytime I was going to look off to either side, I would stop walking because yeah. it was like, I just don't want to like get that dizzy or like just take a wrong step. And cause it's a long way down. So like, you're right. You know, if you pay attention, most of the time you're going to be okay, yeah. but you can't go up there and mess around either on some, on some of them. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, it's, you know, the kind of shift gears in terms of from, from politics to the outdoors, like yeah. you, you never even know, um, like, even if the conditions are good, like you don't know what's going to happen out there. You, you just never know. There was a guy and his, his name escapes me, but he used to hike um, Mount Baldy like every week. He was, he was oh, a legend. Wow. Um, he was an older guy and he, he fell in the, he hiked in the winter, which I don't recommend if anyone's listening, considering no. that don't, don't do that. <laughs> that when I did it in the summer and I thought about someone trying to do it because I'd read about people doing it in the winter, I was like, I can't imagine anyone actually doing this in the winter. Like yeah. you got to really have the right gear and know what you're doing. And, and even then, like this guy, even then something can happen, right? Something, mm -hmm. something there's, there's things out of your control. You're always an injury away from really being screwed as well, like a knee or an ankle or. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's probably the most common thing. Like somebody gets an ankle twisted um, and then they're, then they're SOL, you know, they're out there and they can't, they, they don't have like an inReach and have a satellite communicator. They can't, they try to go back, they get worried, they panic. It's, you know, it's usually one thing and then like a series of things after that. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of emergencies. But I, I always, when I do my guides, I want people to know that it's a safe experience. And I don't do any guides that are potentially deadly. Or if, if it is, I'll say, don't do this in the winter. You might die. Like Mount right. Baldy. Right. Don't, don't do this. Because even, you know, I mean, winter hiking is a different thing. And like I said, even if you have done everything right, you can still be caught in an avalanche or so, something freak can happen. And there's more risks you take in the winter. But in general, when I make the guides, I want to make it accessible. I want to demystify everything. Mm -hmm. um, I remember back in the old days when there were books, guidebooks and paper, uh, you know, you'd read a hike guide and it was very flowery language. It, it sort of read like a, you were reading a book, like, you know, and 1.2 miles at the Juniper Grove, like bare north, northeast and, you know, cross the stream. And you'd have to read it and really like decode what it was saying. 
check that reading comprehension. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it felt like when you're like, you know, in ninth grade and you have to read like a really Treasure hard map. book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what you ended up creating. And that that's when I did the guides, I just, I was thinking like, what's the simplest way to explain how to do something? Like, I don't want it to be like, I want it to be accessible. I don't want it to be scary. I don't want it to be abstract. I want people to go out there know what they need to know and feel confident in doing this hike. So that's kind of how I decided on the style of like the way I do it as opposed to other people. But, but again, it's just to, to get back to your earlier point, um, you know, it's about just having the right knowledge and the right focus and knowing, knowing what you're doing before you go out there. And if you know a little bit, you know, cause we've lost that connection with how things work outside yeah. of, uh, you know, roads and highways and everything. Um, you know, if you just know a little bit, you can go out and really enjoy something. Yeah. Um, and, and, and my hope is with the website that, and this is the whole reason I do it. It's not, I'm not a millionaire from it. Um, I'm doing it cause I want more people to get outside. And I think the more people that will get outside and enjoy the outdoors, the more advocates for the outdoors that we'll have. And the more, um, you know, the better things will be in general, in terms of, nature, the earth, get ready for the communist woke uh, comments. But but that's, you yeah. know, it benefits us all, whether you're Republican, Democrat, having a healthy planet. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's getting yeah. very difficult for them to for people to continue to deny that uh, well, they the do, planet though. is the, the planet is changing. I mean, yeah. Uh, one side of the country feels like it's underwater half the time and the other side out here is dry and on fire. And, you know, that's, you know, let me ask you that. Like, that's something that, that drives me crazy is I haven't done nearly the hiking out here you have. And even on the few I've went on, you know, I come across these areas where it'll be, you know, it's beautiful country, but there are these pine trees and, you know, everything up there is just dry as can be. Yep. And there'll be these power lines ran right through these pine trees. And I'm thinking all it's going to take is like a little tiny oh, yeah. a spark or just anything. And this whole area is going to go up like that. That's how that one uh, two years ago started up in Northern California. That one that like killed that whole town. And right. Isn't that the campfires? Uh, the camp. Yeah, there's so something. many at this point. I know. Like I can't keep track. Soup of names in my head. Bobcat um, and everything else. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, those those power lines probably go back to if I had to guess somewhere between like the 40s and 70s, right? For sure. Yeah, when they, you know, they thought it was like an optimistic thing, and you know, <laughs> nature is our bitch, and we'll we're gonna do whatever we want, and we're gonna concrete the rivers up, and you know, it, it's just. Yeah. It was a different mindset. I'm, I, I probably, you know, if if you went back, then I, I would guess that those people had great intentions. But and the climate was probably different too. It probably sure, wasn't sure. so dry. But yeah, when I see those two, it's just it's just like, oh God, when, when can we where, where can we get the money to change this? You know, I mean, it seems like in this day and time there should be a different method for us to 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 transmit electricity yeah. and running these power lines through the mountains yeah i this i don't yeah. know what it is I'm, that's not my field but it seems like we should be of, more advanced of course, than that yeah. even even me I'm, i don't know nothing about it i know you could run it around the mountains you could run them right around angeles national forest they don't yeah. have to go th straight through the middle of angeles national forest yeah. or even bury it 
bury it. Like, yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be even that deep. Just bury it. I know. And, yeah. and keep it from and from being exposed. It's yeah, it's 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 sad. It's sad that we can't address that type of thing. You know what I mean? Like the all of all of those like the I mean, the power company has money, but they're not going to change it because there's no the impetus. Yeah, I mean, they're monopoly, monopoly yeah. right? Yeah. And if you, you know, the park service doesn't have any money. They're not going to, they don't have any pull. They're not going to say, oh, you need to change this in national forests. You know, there's just no, it's all reactionary. Yeah. It's all reactionary. And I heard uh, when we, when the whole Afghanistan thing happened, they were, they were throwing some stat out there that uh, they spent, they spent $300 million a day for 20 years. And I'm thinking, geez, man, like if, can you imagine if you give like every town, you know, every day for 20 years, one town in America would get $300 million to make things better. Yeah. You know, it's it, obviously, you know, in hindsight, all these things. Are, I mean, I think about that a lot too. It's like, you know, I, 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 I'm not necessarily anti-military, but man, the Pentagon's budget goes up every year. And I'm thinking that could be education here at home. It could be homelessness being fixed. Yeah. It could be, you know, taking care of the of nature a little better. Yeah. I mean, what it, what is, you know, sometimes I hear people make this argument or I feel like I've heard this, this kind of talk about the reason the fires out here are bad is because of mismanagement of the forests. We just raked the forest, I think. Or something, so, you know, like yeah. we need to, we need to keep it cleaned up better. But I mean, is there something to doing like controlled burns, yeah. you know, to, to kind of help prevent the massive ones for, from going off though? Yeah, th there is. And I'm, I'm no, let me just preface with, I'm no expert on, yeah. on fires. There's a really good um, REI podcast from, a few years ago, number five years, and it's about this big forest fire that happened in the the Columbia River Gorge, uh, up in Portland, and all of kind of the different angles and the the way management works, fire management. But um, from what I understand, there was a big fire in the early 1900s, and it killed a bunch of people. And they set up the system. They said, "Okay, we can't have fires anymore." So they set up a system of like fire towers, and it was all about watching for them, and then preventing it, preventing or not preventing, putting them out. It was all um, reactionary. Right. Whereas before that, and even now, there is the idea of like controlled burns and, and fire breaks and fire cuts uh, so that you can kind of isolate it. So if a fire happens, you can keep it in one place because it's going to run out of fuel. Interesting. I mean, right now in Angeles National Forest, we have Probably half of it is a natural fire break because there's nothing there anymore. Right. All these different fires. I mean, I, I can't think of a time when I go to Angeles National Forest and I, I don't hike through some kind of burn area, whether it was 50 years ago, five years ago, whatever. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely things that I think we can do. But, you know, again, I, I think Cal Fire, the, the National um, Park Service, all these the. the National Forest Service, they're all underfunded. It's like badly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not something that's, um, you know, it's all reactionary. Like what's the, like literally what's the fire we have to put out today, whether yeah. it's a real fire or some other kind of emergency. And, and that's the thing. Like, I, I think we as a society have to realize that this is a thing now, um, fires and, and climate change and the way things works 50 years ago when these forests were set up or 80 years ago or whatever, don't work now. 
Right. And we can either bury our heads in the sand and say, you know, I don't hear anything. I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's just, it's just, it's going to change or we can do something about it. And I think, you know, there, there's always, there, there's always that force in society that doesn't want to change, doesn't want to address it Yeah, because it costs money. But, you know, again, they spend money on other things. I was, again, this the same stupid uh, thing, but the, the recall was, I read $276 million. million. It's like, God, if you gave the forest department, you know, the firefighters yeah. like fighting these fires now, like that's the emergency in California. Give them a quarter of a billion dollars. Like, now please like yeah. somebody like like and you know it's just there's people think different things are important but at some point this year i think they said that it's the burn the burns from or the damage just from burns this year bigger than the state of new jersey yeah in, in the united states i believe that it's depressing when you live in such a beautiful place and it and the forests are shut down and you know because yeah. because they're being burnt and you know, Mike's even mentioned it a couple of times. He keeps bringing up Dubai. He's like, they make it rain over there. They shoot stuff up in the clouds and they make it rain. Why can't we just do that over a fire? And I'm like, well, if we had maybe $300 million to throw at it, it we could certainly do that, I'm sure. But, yeah, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if we have, I don't know if, I don't know. We just don't have the resources. It's like you said, we put resources in other things. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think the mindset of, of America is there now. I mean, maybe this next generation of kids, maybe growing up with all of this around you will will kind of form a sea change in terms of the the you know, the way people look at what's important right for for humans, for Americans, for whoever. Um, I also think about LA or Pasadena or Glendale where mm -hmm. they've kind of got, you know, like some parks that are rather big. Griffith Park is pretty big. There's a park over in Glendale that's rather big. That's mm -hmm. kind of isolated and surrounded by a lot of houses and businesses. And I keep thinking if that or the mountains like really catch and it comes down into into the, you know, built up area. So that's hills. what's going yeah. to get people's attention. Yeah. Like and, you know, unfortunately, I. I hear people say that that's probably inevitable going inevitably going to happen at some point. It's yeah. just a matter of when. Yeah. Yeah. I have a vision when you said that of like the Hollywood sign, right? In flames. Burning. Like that's yeah. the, uh, yeah. And all of the, uh, the Hollywood Hills mansions going up. And well, at that point I'm going to hit my go bag and uh, be <laughs> out of here because that sounds like the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I, if I didn't have a family, I'd probably have a go bag. <laughs> I used to live on a sailboat, actually. Oh, wow. That was my, when I lived in New York, the prices got so high, but I lived on a sailboat in a marina, but that was my go bag. I was like, if the world ends, this was like post 9-11. And I was, you know, I was living in the area at the time. And I was like, if something else happens, I can just get on this boat, get the hell out of here. 100%. A sailboat, you don't have to worry about, you know, fuel either had a know. solar panel for like my battery stuff oh wow but now you can get like water makers and everything i mean you can get high tech and probably live forever you know yeah but you know in that uh you know if there's crazy zombies running around you know on the <laughs> mainland it might be nice to be on that sailboat yeah <laughs> be self-sustained i think there's already crazy zombies running around yeah that <laughs> might be one of the things that, you know, we were talking about these fires. One of the things that frustrates me about 
hiking. And one of the reasons I really haven't done like an overnight hike here yet is because part of camping and hiking to me is having a campfire. Yeah. I don't do it. But they're so anti camp campfires here, being able to have a fire. And like, to me, like I grew up, I know how, you know, I feel very confident that I could go out and, and do this, but yet there is, there is a risk, you know, a spark flies up and catches something. Is, is, is this a major, like, I mean, in, in what you've seen or in just your experience, is this like a major like issue for these wildfires? Like, is this where the, a lot of them stemmed from originally is why they're this way about it? I, I think the majority of them happen from lightning, actually. So uh, okay. natural. I think after that, it's and, and I don't know. I'm just I'm pulling this out of my ass right now. But um, uh, vehicle fires, that's a big one. Vehicle fire. Yeah. Like a car catches on fire on the side of the there's one right now up on the five. Oh, wow. Car explodes blows into the grass that's all yellow and then all of a sudden it's on its way um but like we've had crazier ones like i remember one in orange county was from uh they said it was from a spark uh from a like a titanium driver hitting a golf ball wow the one that was um a couple of sounds hard to believe (laughs) yeah but when you see how dry it is like yesterday i was uh i was mountain biking in in a local park by me bomber canyon and in the, in the winter, it's green. You feel like you're in Switzerland. Now it's like six foot high, dry, yellow, just hollow grass. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it won't take a lot to do that. Um, and the, the one, there was one a couple of weeks ago at Lytle Creek, which is sort of in the eastern part of uh, Angeles National Forest. And that was started by a spark that came off of a, the front of like a front end loader, like a bulldozer. Oh, wow. You know, it was like doing some kind of construction work. A spark All this came man-made off. stuff causing these fires. <laughs> <laughs> See the theme? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's w- what they can do is I think it can be managed. I think if they were funded correctly and we were investing in technologies to potentially, you know, like they drop that red fire retardant down. I mean, there's, there's probably some kind of a better way to, to deploy fire retardant than the, just these planes that kind of splash it all over. Yeah. Um, you know, we have drones, we I mean, have all is, this technology. Is, is that stuff safe? Like the red fire? I mean, I'm sure they say it I is, but it you every know. once in a while. Um, <laughs> they say it's supposed to wash off. I, I just, um, right before the forest closed here, I, I hiked up, up to Sunset Peak, which is kind of a popular hike in the front uh, range of Mount Baldy. Really nice because you get panoramic views, but there was a fire that burned last last year i think it was called this the antonio fire small mm-hmm. 50 acre but that stuff was all over the place uh that that red stuff was on all the trees you could see like where the planes dropped it down but i think it's supposed to be biodegradable i uh, can't imagine in california that they would drop that's true that's a good um, point but in this day and age of, of drones and technology and space tourism and all of the stuff you know you're telling me you can't figure out a better way through technology to fight fires it's it's ridiculous it's just that there's no money in that nobody's making money off of fighting fires the irony to me is that when i sit back and i look at things a lot of the things that we should invest in because it would make life better for everyone won't make money 
Like yeah. we can still do the things, those things that make a lot of money, but maybe we use those things to pay for the other things that would actually make life, you know, a little bit better because some of the most important things in life aren't, aren't going to make money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exactly. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a matter of conservation too. It's a matter of thinking beyond your lifetime. True. And thinking like, well, what is this going to cost? What like, you know, <laughs> I think back to after the Great Depression, not that I was alive then, but um, I was a young boy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they, Roosevelt started the, the Civilian Conservation Corps, the, the CCC, and mm -hmm. they, they built the Hoover Dam. They built all the trails. They built all of, like, the infrastructure in the national parks. When I say all of, it's the air quote all of, but a lot of, a lot a of this lot infrastructure. Of yeah. That, I don't know, it, it probably cost a lot at that point. But think about how much money they've made off of the Hoover Dam, how much money they've made off of all the infrastructure in the national parks and like the benefit of that down the road. The problem is that pe people people don't get elected by what they do for like four generations in the future. That's true. And, th and that's that's the problem. Um, and, and it kind of goes back to the, you know, the earlier thing we we're talking about in Europe when it's not so power and money focused. They think about those things a little bit more yeah. um, and they put those types of programs in. I mean, think of Europe used to be a forest, you know, thousands of years ago when the Romans were there, it was all forest and Romans and the Gauls, the Gauls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's all gone. There used to be bears that roamed around right. all through Europe and, you know, that's gone. And now they're, you know, whatever, 2000 years later they have to kind of put the pieces back together and they have to put these programs in place to restore, you know, lands and create national parks. Whereas here we have it. I don't think we know how good it is that we have these vast lands that are magical, beautiful, you know, yeah. all the West and even the East coast, there's great places. But for us, it's not that special because we're not, we're not a country that's, that's land starved. Yeah, that's true. In general. I mean, here in L.A. and in New York, certain places you are. But, you know, Americans don't think of the land as, as a finite thing where, you know, you really have to protect it. It's really like, oh, let's build a strip mall here. You know, it's. <laughs> yeah. And I think you hit it. I mean, I couldn't agree more about the whole not having our leaders, leaders in general, not having a vision really beyond their next election cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's. And again, I think it's all kind of driven by how social media and technology has done its thing as well. They they get caught up in these in these cycles, and it's it's exacerbated with technology yep. in, in the way it is now, um, even worse. But you know, it almost seems like it ought to be a requirement. You know, it's something that even at the local level, you know, and in, in part of my job, when I, I talk to these elected officials, many of them are the same, same way. It's, it's, you know, I know everybody thinks about the federal level, but like even locally where yeah, things awesome. really get done, people are still concerned about this. And it's like, look, you have to really think if you're not thinking five to 10 years down the road, at least. Yeah you're not doing this the right way. Yeah. Like it, you have to think about these things that you may not see a return on for a long time. I, and it frustrates me that people don't think about this. Cause I, you know, 
sometimes I'll be sitting around, you know, watching Neil deGrasse Tyson or something and mm -hmm. I'll, or some other crazy space or time thing. And I'm sitting here thinking about the expansion of the universe and how humans are going to beat, beat, you know, how are we going to exist forever as a, as a species? And it's like the first key to that is, is taking care of what we got here because kudos to Elon, we're getting better, but we're still not a, a space species. Yeah. Uh, we're pretty dependent on this planet at the moment. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's going to change for a while, e even though. No. <laughs> I mean, there's no, yeah. It, who, who knows what's what, but I mean, I think we have to, I think we're stuck. I'm looking here. forward to space tourism. I really would like to go to space, but. Yeah, exactly. You know, that would be the, the, the last thing is to see the whole earth from, from, from up there. That would be pretty. Yeah. Magical. They say, I forget what the term is, but there's some kind of a term that all the astronauts get when you see earth from above, you get like a different perspective, which, you know, logically kind of makes sense, sure. but there's, there's a term for it that's escaping me now, but. That God view. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just something, it, you know, I think it runs a bit contradictory to kind of what we have in America where it's, it's capitalism, right? It's about. And I, I'm, you know, I make money. I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I don't want, yeah, me, I don't want to be well. stuck in a stupid job or I'm a cubicle and I can't move up or move down. I, I love my freedom and all that, but it, it runs, you know, making a profit doesn't, doesn't sort of jibe with like making sure things are still in a good state five generations down the road. Right. It just, they're not, they're, they're in direct opposite, yeah. you know? Um, and and that's what I think people have to, or the world has to kind of figure out. Um, you know, you kind of when you when you hear of regulations, that's kind of like the band aid on that problem. You know what I mean? Like, don't yeah. put red dye in soda because it gives you know <laughs> people cancer, or whatever. Like th those are like the little things. Whereas it just needs to change to be like, you know, everyone drinks water, and we have clean water that everyone can drink, as opposed to selling soda and putting in regulation on red dye or whatever it might be, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's way out of whack. And I don't, I don't know, it, you know, it's scary because I have a son, I have a five-year-old son. It's just like, I don't know what kind of world he's going to be living in. Um, when everything burns and the, you know, the climate change, I mean, luckily we live in America and relative to the rest of the, relative to the rest of the world, we're affluent, right. And we can solve problems with money and we can kind of like isolate ourselves I mean, I live in Orange County. Everyone up, just up isolates themselves from everything. But yeah, up to a point, though, I feel like well, yeah. you know when when, when yeah. the the less the less prosperous countries are either burning or flooded, and the planet, not just a small region or a small country, but a, but the whole planet is experiencing continental mass migration. Mm -hmm. Every, there's not going to be anywhere to hide. Yeah. The, con the the land that's in you know between the Rockies and and the Mississippi River is going to shrink like that mm -hmm. when you have all of Central America and part of South America trying to come up here because or Canada coming down you mm -hmm. know because things are flooded or things are on fire or resources are gone. There's no water or whatever the case might be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's 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 the end game. Like if they, it's not a sounds like Interstellar, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. But uh, you know, I don't know. I, I I like to think that 
the other flip side of having the the kids having the Chromebooks in kindergarten and and this sort of thing is that they I hate it in one sense because I'm like, man, I, I wish, you know, they they were outdoors and not on mm-hmm. all that stuff. But at the same time, I also recognize that they're probably way more informed about all these issues than I was at their age, yeah. you know, certainly than I was as a teenager. And maybe by that, then, you know, if we still have time to save it, you know, they'll they'll be able to to make the the moves to do so. Yeah. I mean, that's I agree. I think that's like the one kind of you know, glimmering piece of light there, because when you think about it in terms of like recent American history, all the generations before ours all had the face in like serious adversity, right? World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, conscription, right? If you, if you're younger, you don't even know, like, but you, if you were 18, you joined the army. Yeah. There was no wasn't an option. No choice. It wasn't an option. You couldn't, you couldn't say my body, my choice. <laughs> you had to join the army. And, you know, that was heavy stuff. Like you're an 18 year old. When I was 18, I was just trying to figure out where I was going to get beer. Like right. that was what it was about. And, you know, here, these generations before us were all facing like, I might die. Like, I'm going to go to the army. I'm going to go to Vietnam. I might never see my parents again. Like that's heavy stuff. And that really, I think, puts things in perspective, right? It's like ex- existential threat to yeah. your, your being. And the generations that we're in don't have to experience that. There's no, you know, the armies that fight in Afghanistan and Iraq and all these places are volunteer armies. Yeah. We don't have to join the army. We don't have to do those things. Life is pretty adversity free. I mean, if you think COVID was tough, I mean, just read history. COVID, we sat in our houses and watched Netflix and Zoomed. Like it's not, you know, people, I realize that yeah. people, there's challenges, but, you know, we ordered food and watched television. Yeah. Like, but just to get back to your, your original ideas, like maybe what's happening now with all the fires and flooding and all this stuff is the challenge that that generation needs hmm. and has to face an order that's their existential threat that will make them step up to the plate. I mean, I hope, who knows, but. I've had this conversation a few times uh, just about how I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I'm in that generation that doesn't know that challenge. I think the uh, Vietnam and the drafts kind of ended in what, the late 70s or something along the mid 70s, maybe, you know, and so. It has been, you know, right after that, I know the late 70s weren't great. There was inflation. But then, man, the 80s felt like capitalism took over Mm -hmm. and money made everything, eased all those ban, all those wounds and made everything better for a while. And, you know, we've kind of been riding the ups and downs of that. And we've, you know, really avoided any kind of uh, situation where the average American has to really think about anything. Yeah, I guess until, you know, 9-11 was maybe the closest thing to uh, to something that was impactful like that. And out of that, we had a 20 year, 20 year war that. Yeah. uh, Who knows what came out of that? But um, I I agree. I think that people have gotten kind of complacent. I I don't like to call people soft, but complacent, if nothing else. Yeah, (laughs) a little doughy, you know, and. I, I honestly think it's one of the reasons that 
there is so much divisiveness. I think when you get bored yeah. with the way things are, you look for problems yeah. and, and, and nitpick. And, and I think that's why there's so much division as there is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, throw us a, a challenge and, and we'll realign what are, what's really a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I know you, I mean, we could have looked at like COVID as that challenge, right? It could have been something that everyone banded together with like right. 9-11 was 9-11. Everyone was, was together. Um, and, you know, COVID, a lot of people, a lot of people who were, you know, not in a secure place financially or, or job wise did get hit. It wasn't like ordering food and right. zooming. I mean, a lot of people are homeless now because of, because of that. Um, so, you know, it, it is a challenge, but I, I think, you know, there, there needs to be something more. And in every, I was thinking about this too, because like, you know, if you're, if you're into history, every, every empire has this arc where it goes up, you know, they're, they're tough and they face challenges and then they yeah. top of the world and then they get doughy. You know, and then you have your Caligulas and your Neros and then and then it goes downhill. And maybe that's the way it is. But I think today, you know, what's different than than back, you know, an empire like Rome or Persia is that everything is so interconnected. And we realize, you know, when, when you if you were Nero, you didn't know people lived in Japan. But now everyone is connected. I, I just my mom is in Germany. I talked to her on the phone this morning, like two seconds, you just hit the button. There's no like long distance. There's no nothing. I'm like looking at her face. She's, you know, it's amazing, Yeah. but everyone's connected. And I think the difference now is that, you know, if, if, if that arc goes down, we all go down. It, mm. it almost, it can't. Yeah. I mean, it can, but it shouldn't, you know, cause everyone's so connected and hopefully Maybe one of the upsides of technology is that people do feel more connected when they're not nitpicking and, you know, leaving nasty comments and that kind of thing. I, felt like, I feel like that was the hope was to make us all more connected. <laughs> uh, we're more connected, but yeah. divided somehow, I feel like at the moment. But, yeah, you know, I, I'm still, you know, in the end, I'm one of those people that uh, I can't give up. I'm, I'm a going no. down swinging with my last breath. And so I always keep keep some hope that uh, that. Yeah. We're going to pull it out. You know, we're, yeah. we're humans. We have to. <laughs> yeah, that, I know. Humanity has to win, right? There's no other option. Right? Either that or the bleak existence of infinite blackness of the universe. Where cockroaches take over and then they talk about us like they talk about the dinosaurs. Yeah, know? hopefully. But yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. And, and that's, again, like, that's part of the reason why I do this is I just want to get people outside. I mean, I can't. You know, we're, we're a couple of guys like we can't rule the world necessarily. It's not a video game. Right. And it's just like, well, what, what's like the little thing that I can do to help chip away? That's it. And, and get people more in tune and get people back to what's important or what's connected by, by connecting with nature and, and getting away from, you know, the yeah. screens and the social media. And, yeah. It's one of the, you know, it's, 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 I think it's a political sort of slogan, like think globally, act locally. Yeah. And it couldn't be so more true. And even when you were talking about history, you know, I'm, I am, I like listening to history things. I love Dan Carlin's Dan Carlin. hardcore yeah. history is the best, his, it's the best podcast it's the best. maybe ever. Yeah. Uh, but you do realize that when you go back and you look at how history has unfolded, how each one of the players in their mind, probably they were such an important factor 
but they were really just one small key factor in this grand yeah. scheme of things. And like, if we all just realize, yes, we're all special, but there's also so many of us that intricately coexist and, and intertwine that we just really play a really small part in the grand scheme of things. And if we're just willing to kind of check our egos a little bit and accept that, yeah. like we would be just so much better off and and I think be able to, you know, just make the changes that we need to, to improve life and the world. I know I'm probably talking a little abstractly, uh, you know, <laughs> we went there hippie, right. hippie ish, but, uh, yeah, we what, whatever, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, I think it's that it's the hope you've got to have hope. Yeah. You, know? you have to have hope. And, you know, I don't know if you ever read that book, it's, it was a thing like maybe in the nineties chaos theory, where it's like, yep. you know, the, the, the wind that's generated from like a butterfly's wings in Japan can cause like a tornado in Nebraska. Right. Like you don't know what's what you just, you know, show up, do the work, try your best and, and, uh, you know, have hope. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Getting, getting, getting back to the, the forest a little bit. Yeah. Have, you know, and, and I guess trying to find our way in the world. Have you, have you ever gotten lost on one of these trips? I get lost all the time. So have, me? so have you, <laughs> have you, is this part did, of the, fun. did you, did you used to care? Have you always carried uh, an electronic GPS? Because I, I will not, I will not deny it. I don't have one and I haven't used one. Just, you can use your phone. Yeah. For the most part, unless you lose signal. You put it in airplane mode. And you, ah, I can tell you offline. There's a, there's a program called Gaia GPS where you can uh, get offline maps. There's a few different programs, but yeah. the, the phone is more powerful than, than any yeah. GPS that's out now. But uh, yeah, I, I get lost all the time. I mean, when I do a guide, I don't just do a hike for the first time and then write about it. I'll generally do it at least once, if not a few times. I'll explore. I'll do some research on the history. Um, and I'll poke around and, you know, sometimes it's documented well and I know what to expect and sometimes it isn't. Um, and I get lost fairly often. It's, it's not a, it's not a life or death situation with me. I just, you know, generally I could just backtrack or look yeah. at the GPS and figure it out. But, um, you know, I, I think if you're getting into hiking, don't be scared of getting lost, have the tools, um, if you go to my website, I, like I said, there's a program for the smartphone called Gaia GPS. Mm. You put it in airplane mode. It doesn't drain the battery down. Uh, you can have offline maps so you can download the maps beforehand. Uh, perfect. And it, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, I, I don't know, it's probably the most powerful tool that you can have out there um, to help you. Now that said, I always carry paper maps too. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are not going to invest in learning how to navigate with a compass. And I'm still a paper map and compass person. That's myself. good. <laughs> Most people are not. I feel like if the apocalypse happens, that's the go-to. Yeah. That's, I there mean, aren't going to be any GPS. When there's no battery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No screens. Yeah. I mean, most people are all trails and Bluetooth speaker. That's, that's the other. Man, that drives me so crazy to be on a hike. Yeah. And to pass another hiker and they've got music playing out loud on the trail. I'm like, I just, oh man. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a it's common, a it's a common, yeah, it's, it's a common thing. It, it's, it's something I've noticed more since COVID. There's more new people. I, I think, you know, I always try to be nice about it. Sure. I always think that people, you know, 
they're not trying to be jerks. They just don't know anything. I'm better. glad they're out there ultimately. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's another reason why I have the website. Like I want people to want to know how to hike to the Hollywood sign and then they go to the site and then they, it says like, you know, read these essential tips if you're a beginner, like I have a link at the bottom and it's like, don't use your Bluetooth speaker and say hello and different, different things like that. Um, it, it's interesting too, when you go out, when I hike, if I'm on, you know, if I'm kind of on what I'll call an obscure area, obscure trail, that's not mainstream. Like maybe like it's not on Yelp, right? There's trails that are on Yelp. Oh, really? Oh yeah. That's, that's a big, I've, I would have never thought to go to Yelp for trail advice. Uh, you can tell, you can tell when they are because that'll be like the Bluetooth speaker crowd. And mm. you know, it's like a tourism, the tourism trails, I guess you'd call them or an obscure trail. When you're an obscure trail, people are super friendly. People say, hello, you might have a chat about like what the conditions are like or something like that. When you're on a popular trail, like if you're doing something like say like Echo Mountain's a good one, which is in Altadena, it's really close to the city. People exercise there, but also gets like a ton of new hikers because you go up to these old ruins um, and that's a Yelp hike, but people just won't say hello. They'll, they'll be, I mean, they're scared. I think a lot of the time, because they don't know, they don't feel comfortable. Right, they right. don't feel comfortable. And, and I, I, I applaud them for getting out. And I would say like, if you're new to it, like, you know, smile and say hello and, and be friendly. If you feel uncomfortable around someone, there's always like, creepy dudes out there that yeah. you don't have to engage with. But, um, you know, I, that's part of like the trail community is, is being friendly and it's, it's, uh, or, you know, sometimes you hike and you're on the PCT and a PCT guy or girl is trying to do a lot of mileage and they're trying to get there. And they almost always take time to talk to you. If you, you ask them a question and they'll ask you like where you're going, it's, that's, that's what the trail is all about. Um, is, is just being friendly in a connection. It's just, it's like, even though you're in the wilderness, it's sort of a safe place to just be a human. It you is, know? it is. You know, I, I had not, ex again, I hadn't experienced it until, uh, you know, since I was a kid, mm -hmm. but even back then I can remember, you know, hiking the app. I did most of my hiking back then on the Appalachian trail. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, I, there's definitely a, people who are really hikers, there's like a community yeah. and like you, it's, it is very friendly. And I can remember so many times people that would be hiking the whole thing and, you know, they would just stop and talk and take a break with you and talk about their, you know, where they've yeah. been and just, you know, share, it's about sharing the experience. And I don't give people out here much chance. I usually just engage and say hi. And if they're uncomfortable, I'm sorry, I made you more uncomfortable, but yeah, I, I say <laughs> I, I just, all the time. Yeah. yeah, you just, you know, I, I think and once people realize, hey, how you doing? You know, how's yeah. it, you know, what's it like up there? You seen anything, you know, just open up a conversation. Most people are like, okay, and they let their guard down a little bit. Yeah, you know, just a hello and a smile. I mean, that's 99% I mean, of the time. That's all I do when I pass somebody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, again, it's just like making people feel comfortable, especially when people have anxiety about going into nature and it's like, am I going to be alone? Am yeah. I going to be lost? Am I going to get hurts? And, you know, just, I think knowing or them knowing that there's another human somewhere nearby and they did this hike and they're not dead. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a comforting thing. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, getting back to the, to, to, to the anxiety about being lost and things like that. Like the biggest thing is just don't, don't panic when you're out there. Like whatever Don't you do, <laughs> just stay calm. Don't run around. Like, yeah, I had an experience when I was 
I was probably in the sixth grade. Oh, well. And I was on a hike with a bunch of, of, of people. There was probably 20 of us. And three of us were overzealous in our pace. And we outpaced everybody. And we went right by a turnoff. And we did not realize it for a long time. And we ended up going on a completely different (laughs) route on this mountain. And, you know, and the other two people I was with, they were also sixth, seventh graders. Like we were all young. Yeah. And, uh, but I was like, all right, we're just going to stay calm. I've got the map. I've got this compass (laughs) and we're just going to keep going because I knew we knew where we were going. And, you know, it's amazing if you just don't panic. Like, it's it's such I always reference this movie, but Hitchhiker's Guide or the book, like, just don't panic. It is like it really is an applicable rule for life. Yeah, I was going to say it's like I think a towel having a towel is good, too. But (laughs) the what's the answer to the life in the universe? Forty two. Yeah. 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 No, that's the thing is don't panic. If you get lost, um, the best thing to do is backtrack. And before you go, a uh, real easy thing to do is just share your hike with somebody in the family and True. just let them know, like, I'm going to be back at six o'clock. If you don't hear from me, you know, share this thing. And it's, it's super easy now because all these guys are online. So if you're like my website, yeah. my website, just grab the link or on all trails, just share it with whoever. Yeah. And giving that to search and rescue, like, okay, this person's hiking Echo Mountain from Altadena on the Sam Merrill Trail. That's that's enough information for search and rescue to, like, come from both ends and probably find somebody. Sure. Um, the other thing you can do on if you're using a smartphone app as a GPS is to track your hike. So if you record your hike, which is good anyway, because then you can, like, sync it with Strava or Apple Health or Google mm-hmm. Health or whatever. Um, but if you record your hike, it'll essentially leave a breadcrumb trail. So if you go somewhere and all of a sudden the trail dead ends and you're like, oh boy, I don't know where I am. You just fire that up and follow the line back. It's, just, it's like following the popcorn trail. You know, it's, right. it's pretty simple. Um, I would say that if you're, if you're the, 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 the one situation where people kind of get stuck is if they're going and they, they go down like cliffs or waterfalls and they, something happens called they're cliffed out. So they're basically mm-hmm. they can't go any farther down because it's a sheer drop and they can't get up. Um, so if you're if you're on a trail and you have to um, climb down farther than you can climb back up, like you're not in the right place. Yeah, you're definitely not in the right place. <laughs> yeah, you get uh, you might get away with that when you're like five and your body weight isn't much. But yeah. like as you get older, like I I stick to the trail most of the time. Yeah, I think that's the, the, the good idea. You know, one of the have you do you do a lot of so a lot of your, the hikes, or at least the ones that I have have mainly looked at on on your site, are are a lot of day hikes. Mm-hmm. Do you do a lot of overnight hikes as well? Um, I d- logistically for me because I have a family now and a kid, like it's not practical for me to mm. to, to do sure. that as much as I could. I usually try to get out once every month or two and do an overnight or a backpacking trip. I used to do it much more uh, back on the East coast in the old days, but um, I'm trying to add more overnights because people, people who've gotten into day hiking are asking for overnights. And uh, I think at some point I'll tackle the subject of like what, how to approach your first overnight trip. Um, There's a lot of stuff out there. If you, if you go to YouTube and you search for like backpacking, there's, there's, 
I don't know why there's way more content than there is like on day hiking, probably because there's gear to sell. So <laughs> exactly. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of stuff out there. So I'm, I'll make a I'll make a video on a guide that just keeps it simple to go yeah. out there. But um, yeah, I, I love I love doing that. I love uh, slack packing, too, where you you hike for the day and then like you stay in a hotel or a glamping thing at night. Mm. So you don't have to carry all the. I like hiking. I like hiking at a nice pace. So it's like a little bit of a workout. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, the workout aspect of it a lot as well. Yeah. Like it's a good, it's a good substitute for a day at the gym or a day on a stupid cardio machine. I mean, yeah, I can't do that anymore. No. Yeah. No, it's tough for me to work out. I used to go to the gym all the time. And now I, I, I'm lucky if I do some kind of like a, a dumbbell workout on, on, whatever apple fitness or one of those things because yeah. i just i just love being outside so much that sitting in front of a tv yeah. like pulling weights around it's just like yeah it doesn't make sense no yeah so if if for somebody one of the things like i i really wanted to kind of like revisit my youth a little bit and i've been wanting to do an overnight uh, cool. here and one of the reasons that i am more hesitant to do it here is partially because of wildlife. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about don't it. Don't worry about it. Hands down. Don't worry about it. So you don't do you, do you, you don't care anything for protection from like bears or mountain lions here in, in Southern California. No. Okay. Um, and that's and, and don't just so you know that's number one thing that I get asked about is is will I be attacked by mountain lion? People think they're being stalked by mountain lions. You know, all kinds of stuff. People, people's imaginations can run wild, can run wildly. <laughs> and, you know, it happens to me, too. Like, I've been in really remote parts of Angeles National Forest and other different places. But here where I've seen a bear, they always run away. I've seen a bear and then I'm hyper vigilant, and then a squirrel will run through the leaves. And I'm mm -hmm. like, bear, bear. You know? Right. Because you're you're so freaked out because you're focused on it. But uh, wildlife here. There are mountain lions and there are bears. Uh, the bears here in Southern California usually will be by like the cabins. You know, there's different cabins in the woods. They'll go to buy the trash. Right. Or if you leave stinky food out or toothpastes or sunscreen, they might snoop around your camp at night and try to get that. So what you want to do is keep all of your stuff, um, keep the scents down to a minimum. So if you cook food, you don't want to rinse it out and get all like the debris out far away from your camp. And there's, there's specific techniques that are um, on my website, actually for bears. I have a whole article on bears and one on mountain lions too. And the mountain lion attacks that we have here in Southern California, it's interesting. Most of them are in a place called winning ranch, which is in orange County. Um, a few years ago, a mountain lion attacked a mountain, mountain lion attacked a mountain biker. Mm. Um, I think he died. I think the guy died. And then recently, People are out hiking with a toddler and the, the mountain lion kind of came towards them. They were able to scare it away. It's a place where there's a lot of mule deer. It's a place in the middle of Whitting Ranch in the middle of development. So it's not, uh, you know, so it's, I think the people, I think the mountain lions are used to people. They're that not so. Encroachment. Yeah. yeah. Um, but out in the wild, like when I'm in the back country, I've definitely seen bears, but I've never I've never had any problems. Bears run away as soon as they see me. Mm. Um, but some places I bring bear spray. Uh, 
glacier. I've seen grizzlies and glacier, not close, but you know, it, it feels good to have bear spray. And I just bring a thing of, of counter assault bear spray. It's like a aerosol can. Yeah. Um, I think your main danger is statistically probably is people. <laughs> That's also a concern, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in general, I, I've never had any problems. There's an Angeles National Forest, there's break-ins and it's, it's, and I don't want to, I'm going to say this and it's going to freak people out, but I don't want to freak people out. Yeah. But, you know, Angeles National Forest is like, uh, it's got a reputation among like the LA sheriffs as a place where, you know, people dump the bodies, you know, it's like ah, a desert in Vegas. Interesting. Um, but I've never, there, there's car break-ins all the time. Cause there are, I know there are people who live in the forest, homeless people. Sure. Um, and, and people, you know, I know there's, they, I think they, they found some kind of like a meth labs out there and people growing sure. back in the old days. And, and there's miners out there, people panning for gold still in oh, Angeles wow. Forest. Yeah. You think they would have had that all pulled out by now. I know. I guess there's still, <laughs> still some good stuff in there, but uh, you know, there's just, there's some kind of like fringy elements, but in general, if you hike in places where there's hiking trails and campsites, you're fine. I wouldn't be worried about anything. Mosquitoes, gnats, yeah. that's that's the worst I get out there. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. That makes me feel a little better. Yeah. And in certain places, if you're if you're backpacking in um like in, in Sequoia or Yosemite or different places that have regulations, you just need to check the park website and they'll say like, make sure you have a bear canister. And that's basically like a tub that you carry to keep Put the food stuff in. in. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um there's probably more animal problems, bear problems in the East Coast on the Appalachian Trail. Like I've been in the in the interesting. It's so weird because I didn't, I didn't think about it at all when I was a kid. I never thought about what's going to happen if there's a yeah. you know some predator that I encounter. Yeah, but I don't know. I guess it's being an adult you start thinking about these things. <laughs> well, I mean that's again you know getting back to like the media and everything. Like you always hear when there's yeah. a bear attack or when there's a mountain lion in somebody's yard, it's always, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's gold for them to hype up. And I think it's important for people to realize how different regions are very different. Like, yeah. you know, the, the Rockies, for example, I, I hear more stories about attacks in the Rockies from runners and things yeah. up in the trails like that than I do here in Southern California. Yeah. The bears, I mean, it used to be grizzlies down here. They, of course, we killed them all. Yeah. yeah that's, that's how we do it. But uh, it's you know, true, though. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, farther north, you have bears and, and bears like the Mount Whitney camp uh, parking lot for the trailhead. They'll break into cars. Like if you leave oh, gels wow. out or whatever, they'll, they'll break through their windows and, and go in there. Wow. Take stuff. Um, and uh, there's other kind of oddball creatures. There's a, there's a spot in Kings Canyon that's notorious for marmots. Marmots uh, allegedly will eat through the coolant hoses this, yeah. Yeah, on your on your car. Um, but yeah, farther north, British Columbia, there's grizzlies. If, if you're trail running or whatever, you know, up in Glacier or Bob Marshall Wilderness or up, up in the upper Rockies, you, you definitely want to bring bear spray. Yeah. Um, but again, it's not a big deal. I don't think they have bear spray. And I think most people who have it, the, the bears take off when you shoot them. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Speaking of Mount Whitney. So I've been, you know, I would say I've been getting my day hikes. I think the most I've done is about 14 miles in and, in and out on a day. 
And I really, so when I do something for the, for, for, I have two different modes. I like, I'll pick something that's not too bad if I'm just going to really trail run because I'll, I'll, you know, I, I run pretty hard and I don't really carry anything with me at all when I trail run. Yeah. So I go to more populated trails generally when I do that. So there's other people there yeah. just to be safe. But when I go on a hike, I like to get away where there's not a lot of people. Yeah. So I'm looking for like continually looking for more remote things to do. And Mount Whitney is one who has kind of like has gotten my attention, but there are elements to it. Like how many, how treacherous is it when you're on the trail and you know, there's like the spikes and you're kind of holding on and there's like a pretty thin ledge. Like, you know, like how, how does, how does that get if you're a solo hiker by yourself? Yeah. So, so just to preface it, I, I mean, I, I always solo hike it. Um, and it's not, there's no real narrow sections. Hmm. There's nothing there's, there's at least, I think four feet of, of width everywhere. Okay. Um, there's one section that has, uh, like a railing and that's only there because it's, it's shaded. It's an overhang. Uh, it's on the section up going okay. up to a trail crest from, from high camp on the 99 switchbacks. But, and it's like that because the ice sticks around longer. Uh, okay. Um, but otherwise so it looks worse than it is in the picture. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could, <laughs> you could break your neck if sure. you tried, but well, um, you could on Mount Baldy as well. And, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, th there's one section that, or a couple little sections that give people trouble. Once you get up to the ridge line, a uh, place called Trail Crest, you uh, kind of follow that along or on the backside or the west side of Whitney. And there's a couple sections called the windows where you go through these. I don't know if you've seen pictures of it, but there's like sections called the needles or like pointy, um, I don't know, pointy rock outcroppings where you walk through kind of a break in those, you know, straight down the like one the side. Soldiers is, do the swords that you walk under. Yeah. yeah. Um, and on the other, you know, it's a straight drop, but it's four feet and the wind can come through there. And that can be unnerving. Sometimes I've been up there when it's really windy and I've just crawled when I get to that point, mm. I just crawl and it's fine. That's the biggest like thing that, that uh, makes me nervous is when the wind is really strong uh, on a place. Yeah. And you, yeah, you just have to like really take your time. Yeah. There's, there's, or I do. <laughs> no, same. I mean, you, you want to make sure your footing is solid. And if it's really crazy, I mean, it's just, just kind of bag it. But the, yeah. your main challenge, your, your main challenges on Whitney are, are um, the altitude. So acclimatizing and feeling good and not getting sick. That's probably the most uh ranger rescues occur because of altitude sickness there. Mm. Um, that is that that's because literally you're trying to make that up and back and it's a, such an extreme change in a day. Yeah. yeah it's such a short amount of time. You're hiking, I think like 6,600 feet in a day and you're already at altitude when you start and you're going up to 14 and a half thousand feet. So usually after 10,000 feet or so people start to feel like a little headache, you kind of get swollen fingers. Uh, but for some people, it's it's more serious they get you know you can get um i forget what you call it, it might be hape or something but you your brain swells and you, i mean you can you can right, die right i mean people do um and and the problem that people have on whitney is that they've done all of this training they've won the permit lottery this is their day to do whitney and they're gonna do it and do it no matter they're what do it. i don't That's, care that would my be my mindset as well brain explodes <laughs> and blood shoots out of my eyes i am gonna summit this thing 
Um, and, and that's a problem because th that's where all of the rescues happen. And um, I, I don't know if you're familiar, there's like these satellite communicators called inReaches where you can basically send messages or SOS in the backcountry. And I've never used it on myself. Like I've never had a, thank God, a, an emergency, but I have used it twice on Mount Whitney to report other people who were having trouble with altitude and like couldn't move. Wow. And it, you know, for me, it's tough. I can, I can hang out with them. I can walk them down a little bit. Um, but, but, you know, sometimes I think they need to get a ranger with, with a, whatever you call it, a stretcher bucket and bring them down to a flat sure. area and they, they get evacuated. But, um, you know, that's the biggest thing in the weather. If you, you need to go super early, which is nice. Um, so that you beat any afternoon thunderstorms cause it's the high mountains and, you know, things pop up. Mm. And it's, it's a little tricky there too, because you get planes from wherever the military bases, you know, in the Mojave over there off of 395. Right. But they'll buzz the mountain and they'll, they'll break the, uh, sound what do you call it? The sound barrier. And it'll oh, be wow. like a boom. And then of course you think it's thunder. thunder yeah. yeah. Um, but if the weather's bad, you just need to turn around and there's some things that are just totally out of your control, but you know, I always tell people no, no hike is worth dying for that's true it's supposed to be like a fun thing and i i get like pushing yourself but at the end of the day it's a hike it's yeah. just it's just a walk in the woods like you those, can those survival movies might look like uh they might be a fun challenge but they're really not in real life no if you don't know what you're doing yeah yeah but you know getting a, surviving up on top of mount whitney is is different than surviving in a, in a lush forest forest where you have all kinds of organic material. I mean, you're basically above the tree line. Yeah. It goes below freezing at night. It's just all exposed. And, and, uh, that's why they build huts. Like there's a hut on top of Mount Whitney. Those are refuges mm. in case you get caught up there. You can, you can duck into that. Um, and there's, you know, they have them in Southern California as well in San Jacinto. And, but you know, just, I would say if you're doing something like that and you, and you're feeling, if not feeling confident in it, don't you know, know know what fear to push through and right. what fear not to push through right you know do you what what can what do you should you do for like i mean i guess i guess i've i've hiked some decently ele decent elevations in, in my life but i can't think that i've ever really experienced anything i guess if i think back maybe a little bit of like puffiness in my hands or feet but I guess that's, I always attributed that to just like, I don't know, I'm on my feet all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's the best thing you can do is you can spend time at altitude. So if you go to Mount Whitney, um, the, the main town outside of there is called Lone Pine. I think it's around 5,000 feet ish. Don't quote me on that. But if you stay there, you're already at altitude. You can stay overnight. Generally they say go up and then or, do your days up and then sleep Interesting. lower. Um, and there's another really cool, if you want to basically stay for free, there's a walk up campground just a little bit south of Mount Whitney called Cottonwood, Cottonwood Lakes, uh, the trailhead there. And it's just a first come first serve trailhead. Beautiful. Also a beautiful hike there. Uh, but that's at 8,000 feet. So if you, if you drove from Southern California, slept there, and then you'd hiked Mount Whitney, you're usually okay. And that's usually okay. what I do. The worst thing you can do in terms of odds, you know, of not getting or of getting altitude sickness is to drive from Los Angeles straight to Mount Whitney. So going from sea level to the to, hike, to the hike, you know, to four, sea level to 14,000 feet in, you know, 12 hours. Yeah. No, no bueno. 
Um, yeah. and, then, and you can, there's other things you can do too. You can, you can, um, there's a medication, which I forget the name of it, dioxide or something like that, that you can get prescribed. Some people have luck with ibuprofen, um, stay hydrated, eat, uh, and just know like when you get the extreme signs of it. And I have a whole section on this in my guy from Mount Whitney. You can check it out there. But, you know, if you get a really bad headache, like, hey, my brain is expanding in my head. You know, you need to stop and turn yeah. around. Uh, and sometimes when you feel a little bit headachey, you can just stop and chill out for 15 minutes and you, you feel better and you can keep going. Um, but generally, you know, I, every time I do it, I see people who push past it. And now they're walking down and they're a mess yeah. and they're just a mess. And, and you know, it's, there's not a lot you can do. Like a helicopter is not going to fly up to the steep part of the mountain and lift you up in a bucket unless something really drastic is going to happen. But it's 14,000 feet. Like helicopters have a tough time up there. They're yeah. going to have to go. You're going to have to walk down lower to a flat spot. Yeah. Yeah, that's the the other part of it. It's as far as you go is as far as you got to carry yourself back out of there. Like, yeah. No matter how you look at it. They're they're good about that in the Grand Canyon because that's the worst place for, for, for people going in and over their heads. Interesting. Because it's downhill to start. This is also something I have on my I tried to do this during COVID and I didn't I could didn't didn't make it happen. But the this Grand is all, this is also something I would like, yes, yeah, to hike the Grand Canyon across the rim to rim. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's it's one of the most beautiful experiences. I have another plug. I have a guide for that too. Yeah, so a guide for everything. But uh, but the Grand Canyon is where people get into trouble because they um, they hike down, which is easy. You know, it's a nice trail, and you're da da da, and you're going three miles an hour downhill, and then you got to hike back up, and it's steep, and it's tough, and it's hot, and it's unforgiving, um, and people die. People this year already, a few people have died. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough call and it's tough to prevent that because no matter what you do, people won't take advice and they'll just do it or they just, they'll be, you know, just ignorant. I mean, I've been at the bottom of the Grand Canyon too, and I've seen people in jeans and like the Jansport uh, book bag that you wore at school, mm -hmm. no water asking me where the trail is. And like, I'm just, you know, my head's like, like I, I can't. I can't understand people that try and hike, especially in a hot weather without taking, I mean, I can, I mean, I drink a lot of water. I take, a t that's Same, yeah. it's the most, I think it's the thing I take the most of by far. By the end of the hike, I feel so much better because there's no like weight on my back, but I go through it and I can't, these people, they'll, they'll stop at the 7-Eleven on their way to the trail and they'll get like three of those and that they think yeah. that's enough. And it's like, that's not even close. No. Yeah. Especially doing something as hot as, as hot as the Grand Canyon could be. Yeah. You can survive. I, I, I don't quote me again, like maybe 45, 60 days, like hunger strike people yep. survive without food for long, but you can only survive like a couple of days without water. Yeah. There's no, there's no getting around that one. Yeah. Um, but what they do in the Grand Canyon, which is neat, is on the popular trails, or Bright Angel, at least I know, they have um, what they call PSAR, which is Preventative Search and Rescue. Hmm. So they have rangers, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes down the trail when people come by that look like they're unprepared, the rangers will just like talk to them in a, in a very innocuous way and just mm -hmm. kind of, because a lot of times people don't know what they're getting into because they right. haven't read the brochure that says don't do it or whatever it is. Um, 
so that's a kind of cool uh cool way to handle that problem yeah but then again you know you need funding for rangers to do that that is true that yeah. is true you know talking about taking taking water enough water and things like that like what are some of your favorite foods to take on the trail yeah i'm, I'm a it, it depends on where I am and what I'm eating at the time, but I like pro bars, anything that's like nutritionally dense. Mm. Uh, so basically you're getting a lot of calories out of, you know, a small amount of food. And I'm not talking about like a Big Mac necessarily, which is also <laughs> nutritionally dense, and, you know, a thousand calories and yeah. two ounces, but uh, terrible to carry on the trail though. Yeah, no good. You probably get attacked by an yeah. animal for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pro, pro bars are good. It's sort of like a mix of nuts and seeds. Uh, I try not to do anything too crazy in terms of blood sugar. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, every once in a while, I do I do a keto program because I'm, okay. I'm going back into keto now because you're familiar with like ketosis and the whole. Yeah. So yeah. the idea is that you eat, you know, you're burning ketones. It's a great fuel for low intensity workouts you don't need a ton of food because your body can utilize body fat um so i'm trying to do that because i've also kind of let myself go over the last couple months uh, so i'm just trying to get back into ketosis in which case i bring nuts with me a lot of nuts i'll eat on the trail yeah maybe a piece of like fruit that's not too sugary just to get some potassium and and uh and moisture from it but you know you don't have to get too fancy with food um Sometimes I like to bring energy gels. That's like my emergency bailout. I get these cliff ones that also yeah. double espresso shot. I think they call it, <laughs> which is sugar, you know, as much sugar and caffeine that you can stuff mm. into a little packet. Yeah. Um, but those are always good if I'm struggling. Uh, what I found for myself, and I think for a lot of other people too, is when you have a tough day, like if you're doing a long, long day for whatever your skill level is, maybe you're doing a mountain summit, right? You're doing a Mount Baldy and that's like the longest you've ever hiked. You've hiked 11 miles yeah. and you're up in Mount Baldy and it's taken all your energy to get there. Coming down is where people get into trouble because when you're totally wiped out at the top mm -hmm. and you're not paying attention and you're not watching your footing, you're rolling an ankle, you're taking a wrong turn because you're not totally there. Um, that's where I would recommend that you eat. Like before you start a descent, the summit's a great place to take a break, fuel up, get your minds you know, the fuel that it needs to concentrate on the way down. Cause I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure that most of the injuries in terms of like rolled ankles or anything happen on descents when people have done something and now they're cruising downhill and they're like, you know, and then, then it's a problem. So yeah. much easier to lose footing coming downhill than going up. Yeah. I can, I could not imagine trying to, you know, I always set the, the, the peak as, you know, halfway point usually is, you know, Plus you're up there. That's the goal. That was the, the, the yeah. prize for doing all that. It's take, take 20 or 30 minutes and chill out Hang and out. have some drink and have something to eat. And yeah, yeah. You know, I will admit when I did Mount Baldy, it was uh, over a year ago now, but the day I did it on, a, I had this bright idea. It was supposed to be super hot and down here. And I think it was ended up being like 108 or 109 that day. And so I did, and I was like, well, I'm just going to go to the mountains. It'll be cool. And it was much cooler. You know, it was not nearly a hundred up there, but it was still significantly hot. hot. Yeah. 
And I, I, I still took, uh, you know, my normal amount of water and everything, but I went through it so fast. And that's the one time that like, by the time I can remember, you know, the, the little, I guess there's a, like on the backside loop, there's like a little cabin or something on it, the ski hut. Yeah. By the time I got to the ski hut, I was really low on, I was having to ration my water. Yeah. And it was not a fun feeling because I, I could have drank so much more water. And I was I was a little bit of a wreck by the time I got to the bottom that day. That'll do it. And it took me a long time, uh, you know, a, a while, a few hours. <laughs> like <laughs> I went immediately to the 7-Eleven and I got two sugary Gatorades. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I felt a lot better after that. But I've really gotten a, not addicted to them, but really come to rely on these liquid IV thing, these liquid IVs, they're like, uh, it's kind of like that lemon lime Gatorade sort of flavor, but it's like balanced with all the right delivery nutrients and minerals and electrolytes and everything. It's like really scientifically dialed in. And if I just supplement my water with that in it, in it and shake it up, like it will prevent me from being wrecked and accelerate my recovery time tremendously because I I have really bad even like during normal days mm-hmm. of of not even strenuous exercise I'll have like cramping issues yeah. sometimes I just get really tight and like if I find that if I'm not well hydrated enough like that is the number one reason yeah that's I think that's a potassium thing right yep. when you're yeah I, yeah. I tr- I, I used to get that. I had these noon noon tablets. They're like s- similar lemon lime thing mm-hmm. you drop in. Um, but I, I haven't used them much. I haven't had a problem. But I, I tend to eat more salt. I crave salt. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, when I'm done, you know, there's like a layer of salt all over my clothes generally when I do anything. For sure. Around here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it helps to have that. It also for water... Um, you know, you should have like an emergency kit with you just in case you have to spend the night. But I always recommend taking this. Um, there's a few different types that you can get, but there's a, oh God, I forget the name of it, but it's just basically a plastic bag with a water filter on top. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can basically just filter the water and drink it at the same time. Oh, wow. So in that case where you were coming down, there's usually a little creek at that ski hut. You could have right. just scooped the water up. And it's like, you know, it's a few ounces in, a, in your backpack. Right. But that's always a good thing. But unfortunately, in Southern California, there's not always running water. That's um, true. And that's what a lot of people struggle with. And that's back to your 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 thing about camping is the biggest probably hassle here in Southern California is water. So when you camp, you know, you cook and you clean your things out. Yeah. And like finding some place in the late summer that has running water is usually a challenge in the mountains, at least. Yeah. No, that's a really good points even especially if you're trying to do you know through hiking or overnight hiking yeah i would imagine even more because you really it's tough to carry carry a ton of water with you yeah and i i've done that it's not fun um and generally what i'll try to do like there's a hike called um california riding and hiking trail through joshua tree and it's like a 38 mile hike but you have to cache your water so essentially what you do is before mm. you, it's a point to point, you take one car and you like hide water jugs along the way. Um, and then you drive back and it's, it's crazy too, because the rodents and the the crows and the ravens, if they find it, they'll poke through to, to get it, you know, to get at the water. Wow. Um, but that's, that's no fun. Uh, 
I, I did one recently around Mount St. Helens, Mount St. Helens, and it's all volcanic, oh, you know, because wow. it erupted, but there's no water there, and we had to cache water. It's just, it's usually not worth it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming in, man. This has been great, great chatting with you. Is there yeah. any any other advice? I will tell people the one piece of advice I will give them is if you're going out on a hike, check out the hiking guy, man. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's honestly like when I, you know, I looked at, you know, I know all trails is pretty popular with people and whatnot. And there's some others out there, but like you can literally watch your video for a trail any of the trails on your on your site and flip through the pictures that you take and the descriptions of the trail a couple times or at least for me a couple times and it's like so clear that you know i've never had a problem like using using your your stuff man it's it's on point thank you man and that's that's the whole reason why i do it that way is because i just want it to be easy down to earth and like simple for you the the collective you yeah. to uh to just wrap your mind around um and not have it be something you have to decode like those you know like the guidebooks i was mentioning earlier for sure but but thank you so much and uh yeah that's that's the whole reason why i do it i, I i'm it's it's music to my ears so thank you and I, I guess if you're starting i would just say um you know let people know where you're going that's probably the most important thing you can do if you go out there don't be afraid. Say hello to people. Um, do a little bit of prep. I think if you do, like you said, if you look at a guide beforehand, whether it's my website or all trails or anything, just know what you're getting into before you do it. Don't just show up and and hike. Like kind of know where you're going, where the turns are. That'll that'll buy you a lot. It's kind of like a 2080 thing. Mm. Um, if you just do a little bit of prep, you'll you'll generally be good in terms of what your expectations are and getting, getting lost and, you know, get a, get a app like Gaia GPS for your smartphone. Everyone has an iPhone or Android phone. It's, it's a powerful tool it has yeah, GPS in it, put it in airplane mode. Um, and they have really easy tutorials and I have them on my website too, but, uh, that's, that's, that'll get you, that'll get you saved if you get lost. And, uh, one last one, cause I know I'm shooting a lot yeah. out here. Nah. If you, if you don't have, if you get in trouble, um, usually if there's no cell phone signal when you're in the back country and there's these things called the inReach devices, or it's like a satellite text messenger. Okay. So you can hit SOS on that and you can text back and forth with the emergency people. If you hike a lot in the back country, that's worth the investment. It's, there's a subscription, it's a couple hundred bucks, but I always think of it as like, it's my life. Like, you know, it's like, what is that? couple hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. What, I'm not going to be complaining about like a subscription for $25 a month yeah. if I'm stuck. So if you hike a lot in the back country, those are well worth the investment. Uh, and you can also use them just to text your loved ones. I use it all the time. Like if I'm running late, I text my wife like, hey, I'm running late. So she doesn't think I'm dead. Something's happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, just a peace of mind. Peace of mind. And it's cool. You can like see where you are on a map and do all kinds of neat things. If you don't have that, if you're just casually hiking and you're using an app, if you don't have cell phone signal, still try to dial 911 because what happens is all of the carriers have reciprocal agreements for 911. So if I have T-Mobile and I don't have T-Mobile range, but there's AT&T and I dial 911, it'll go through that AT&T um, tower. Oh, wow. Even though your phone says no signal. Okay. 
So dial 911 if you don't have a satellite communicator. Always give it a try. It might not work, you know. Sure. But uh, but that's the best thing to do. But leaving a plan ahead of time and a time when you're going to be home is is key. Because yeah. if you do get lost, somebody will be able to come out and find you. Yeah, I always fall back on my uh, motto, on the scout motto, be prepared when you're going into the wilderness. Be prepared, yeah. yeah. I, I have um, a few different articles for hiking for beginners and like the essentials that you should bring. But I know a lot of people won't spend the time to actually do that. <laughs> so the tips that I just shot you were the quick ones just yeah. to uh, just to do that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, if, if you're just starting, it's like a journey, right? It's sort of like getting into a new sport or a new hobby. Absolutely. Or, and it's fun and, and don't be intimidated by it. There's plenty of people who do it and probably don't know much, but still enjoy yeah. it, still get the benefits of it. Uh, and, and the more you do it, the more challenging it is. It's, it's, you know, I, I, I see with my readers, there's always this progression. They'll do like the Hollywood sign or Echo Mountain, then they'll do Baldy and then they'll want to do Whitney and then they'll want to do yeah. Rim to Rim and, and <laughs> all these other things. And it's cool because it's, it's their adventures. This is all about, it is. it's a connection, but it's an adventure and it brings you back or me at least brings me back to being like a little kid. And you're you're on an adventure and it's fun and it's not in a dangerous way, but, you know, new scenery and you're out in the wild. And I, I think it's a great like for me, at least being out there and being, you know, there's no cell phone. I'm not on the phone. Like yeah. it's a little bit like a therapy session too. Yeah. like you have your mind and you just think about all sorts of things and you can clear that thing out and yeah. just really. You know, it's, it's way cheaper than a therapy session. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, and you, you don't have to know why it works or how it works. Not at all. It just, just accepts it. It's just results. It's yeah. a results-based uh, experience. Absolutely. Well, Chris, uh, tell, tell, tell people where they can find you online. Yeah, sure. Uh, just go to hikingguy.com. Uh, and from there, I have all kinds of guides. You can sign up for a newsletter, uh, which I don't spam you with, I used to do it once a quarter and I'm doing it, I'm gonna to try to do it once a month uh, and I'll let you know where the, the new places to hike are. And I also do skills videos that teach you about different mm. things you'll encounter and how to hike. Um, and then I do some gear reviews, which are probably my least fun thing. But uh, if you're in the market for like a GPS or hiking boots or a backpack, I have all that there uh, and I test all that out myself. So it's not companies paying me. I have no sponsorships or anything. Um, I just try, try out what works and I yeah. recommend what works. So, well, I saw you, you've got those ultras on there and like that. Yeah. That's so what I was wearing. Those that. are my, those are my, I They're fell great. in, I fell in love with them. I, I saw this dude on another podcast. I think his name's Zach Bittner. He's like an ultra marathon runner. Uh -huh. He was talking about them and I was like, I'm going to try these shoes. Yeah. Cause like the, 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 the having the extra toe room, cause my toes get jammed up yeah. and they took a little get used to, you know, if you're not mm -hmm. used to the extra room in the toe, but yeah. like, man, once you get used to it, it's like, there's no other shoe. My, all other shoes, my feet feel like they're being squashed. Yeah. No, same. Especially I, on a run or, yeah. or a trail, you're coming downhill. It's great. I don't know why more shoes don't have that. They don't look the style. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. If you buy Ultra Lone Peaks, you won't look great on the trail, just so you know. But I think they look amazing. <laughs> I, I honestly I wear mine to the gym as well. Yeah. Like I, I I train I'll train in them normally. Like I don't want to run in another pair of shoes. I bought another pair of shoes. I bought these 
Under Armour trail shoes to run in. And man, they gave me a big blister on my foot. And like those ultras, I bought them brand. I'm on my second pair. Yeah. And like I, you buy them right out of the box and it's like there's no break in. I don't no. feel like like I've never had an issue or a discomfort in it at all. It right works. out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. It's they're, they're great. They're yeah. they're they're great. Not to turn this into a commercial for Alter, but, <laughs> exactly. but th they really are quite quite. I love them. And I would say too, like go. Yeah, you know, a lot of people think they need hiking boots, and that's yeah, no, not don't really. get hiking boots, don't get waterproof, get like a breathable trail runner. Yes. It's your best bet. And there, there's a lot of that's another kind of pain point, I think, for people or friction point in terms of entering this. You think you need a lot of gear, right? And you don't really need a lot of gear. Um, and the things that you think you know, like I need hiking boots, you don't necessarily need, and most people have the wrong stuff, they have carrying too much weight. Um, so it just just if you go to the, my gear page, I'll list out all the things, yeah, but there's sure. a, a lot of, a lot of kind of misconceptions that, uh, that are out there that, and, and, you know, actively still propagated by people and maybe yeah. things work for them. Like some boots are, boots are like politics, you know, some people <laughs> like they have to have that ankle support and it needs yeah. to be a leather boot. And if it's not, it's worthless. And it just, you know, I just talk about what works, I think, for me, and I get feedback from users. And if, if I try something and I say, I've tried this and people say it doesn't work for me, I think uh, maybe it's just my foot or my body and I'll yeah. try something different. But um, in general, I'm just recommending things that, that just really work well. Yeah. Um, and you don't need as much as you think you do, probably. Yeah, no, I it's, I grew up the same same way when I when I was young hiking. It was all these leather yeah. hiking boots. I mean, that was Thank well, God. you're going to go on a hike. Let's go to the store and buy you hiking boots. And yeah. you wore these heavy hiking mm -hmm. boots. And it's like, I can remember getting blisters so many times in those boots. Yeah. Despite double socking, despite wearing, you know, the the, the wick, moisture wicking sock and the leather and leather. the wool sock and all this. And like, I mean, and when I saw you had those altars, I was like, I'm just not gonna i don't need no boots i'm just gonna no. wear my running shoes to go on this hike yeah. and you know like that's what they're made for anyway because yeah. i don't i can't run on on asphalt anymore it kills my joints it just yeah. I, I, it's so brutal so when i do run it's trail anyway i use the hokas on the, on the pavement now those are those big Thick ones. silly things yeah, yeah but that, that's the only thing i can run a pavement with yeah that's not worth it plus you get a better view on the trail yeah exactly yeah and and Another, just as long as we're chatting right now, yeah. another point, like if you are getting into it, there's not a quicker way to be miserable than to wear hiking boots or, or go too far, you know, overshoot like what you think you could do, like pick an easy hike, yep. put on, you don't have to buy the trail runners, don't buy ultras. Like if you're not sure, just wear your sneakers yep. and, and go out there and, and just enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a, there's, there's low to no barrier of entry in terms of hiking. You can just go hike in a county park or Griffith Park, a city park, and and use your cell phone, have signal, yeah. and do it in sneakers and fitness clothes, and it's still still nice. Yeah, you can absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that that I've always gravitated to the poor people's activities. I think you know <laughs> basketball and you're not yachting and <laughs> definitely not, definitely not. You know, being out in nature is pretty free. Yeah. Um, you know, low cost and high re high reward. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the great thing. You don't need you don't need stuff. Don't don't fall into the trap. No. Everyone will try to sell you stuff, <laughs> but you don't need stuff. Yeah, for sure not.
Well, Chris, I appreciate you coming in, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Cool. Well, thank you.